I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings, programs, and we're back again for another episode of the Nerd Cave Retro Show. My name is Jason Robbins. And my name is Derek Diamond. So we're recording two episodes in a row tonight. We've already told you guys on the last episode what we did this week, so I don't know what to start the show off with right now. Derek, you got anything you want to... Any tales from the... uh, from the old uh, uh, baseball stadium or anything you want to want to share? Oh, there's there's always there's always stories, but I'm I'm saving most of them for the uh, the movie that I'm gonna make at some point. Oh uh, yeah, and it's it's gonna hopefully make me a lot of money. <laughs> but no, let's see. Since the since the last show, um, I adjusted my chair. Yeah. Took a sip of my drink. Uh, checked my phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, had a missed phone call. Uh, that's really been about it. Um, what about you? Not much. I was trying to think if there's anything I watched um, this week that I may have forgotten about that I haven't told everybody about. Uh, I started uh, Rick and Morty Season 3, which is on Hulu now. Um, is that show any good? It is awesome. If you've never watched I've Rick never and Morty. never watched a second of it. Oh, dude, you're missing out. It's some of the best <laughs> written television on of the last few years, like it is excellent. Like I can't even, I can't even describe it. You just just go watch the first episode, and you'll you'll get it. Like it's <laughs> from the first episode, you're like, this is yep, yeah, this is the show right here from then on. So go watch it. I, I can't. J- everybody listening, just drop what you're doing. Well, actually, finish listening to this episode, and then then when you're done listening to this episode, go watch Rick and Morty. And if you've already seen Rick and Morty, go watch it again. Just start over from the beginning. I mean, I know it has a huge following now because it. This past year at Pensacon, there Prime was Day actually three p.m. A, whoa, July six. Stop. <laughs> Not you. <laughs> Stupid ad. <laughs> at Pensacon, there was a Rick and Morty themed party, 
at a uh, restaurant here downtown. So my thought was, wow, this thing really has it's gotten that big. Yeah, it it's has. Crazy. It's awesome, dude. You're totally missing out. And, you know, I watched the first two seasons when they came out on uh, they came out pretty quick on Hulu. Actually, I watched it while the I think right at the end of the second season. So I started the first season. And then by the time I got done with the first season, the second season was coming on Hulu. And it uh, took a while for season three to actually drop on Hulu. So it finally dropped not too long ago. And um, now I'm finally getting to watch season three. Now I know what the whole hubbub with the uh, the Szechuan sauce is or was. <laughs> oh, so that's how you say it. Yes, yeah, Szechuan. I've, I've never I've never known it. I've, I know they had it at McDonald's for yeah. a period of time. Um, and- I'll have to. I'll have to uh, check that show out. I haven't really I'm trying to think if there's anything that I've watched. I don't think so. And I, I don't have like a ton of time to watch stuff, unfortunately, but that's normally saved for like September and October. Yeah, I, I don't have a ton of time to watch stuff, but I can fit in, you know, an episode or two of Rick and Morty here and there. So I, I, I usually get to watch at least one episode a day. Yeah. Um, it, I did. I did rewatch the Big Lebowski. Oh yeah, Friday, I love that which, movie. Uh, top ten all time for me. <laughs> if you never watched the Big Lebowski, everybody. If you haven't seen Rick and Morty and you haven't seen the Big Lebowski, you have a fun weekend ahead of you. So you're gonna go <laughs> and you're gonna rent the Big Lebowski and you're gonna watch uh, uh, Rick and Morty on Hulu, and that'll be your entire weekend, and you'll you'll be better a better person for it. If you haven't watched Big Lebowski, I would say that's uh, that's a bummer, man. That's uh, <laughs> that's a bummer. You know, man, that's just uh, <laughs> this cannot stand, man. You know, <laughs> there is one. There's one thing from the Big Lebowski that I would love to implement at where I work, but it would get me fired. Anytime the umpire like makes a really bad call, I want to play the sound bite. Yeah, well, that's just like. Your opinion, your, man. Yeah, yeah, well, that's like, you know, your opinion, man. <laughs> this, this will not stand. Yeah, that's one of my favorite things to say to somebody. Like, like this just, this cannot stand, man. You know? Like, oh, man. Like, oh, that, that movie John so Goodman good. was so good in that movie. My favorite thing <laughs> we used to have in one of my old bands, one of the uh, band members' name was Donnie. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh, if you haven't seen Big Lebowski, you'll know what I'm talking about. So, yeah. go watch it right now. Yep. So, um, I did want to say before we move on, how much I hate autoplay videos online. If you're a website and you, and you run a website and you're listening to this show, I'm just gonna let you know right now, nobody likes autoplay. Just stop doing it. Oh. No, no one. Nope. I don't think there's anyone on the planet that likes to go to a website and then automatically get blasted with an ad. Nobody likes that. So just stop it. Stop. Stop it right now. No, autoplay is pretty terrible. It's one of the worst things on the internet. And on that note, let's go ahead and move into our news for this week. Derek's excited about this one. <laughs> so for all of those who are wondering what news story of the year is going to be, 
you can you can stop wondering because I'm about to read it to you. Mm-hmm. Sega is really making a Sonic the Hedgehog toaster. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, we talked about this, I think, two or three weeks ago when we had Nate on the show. Uh, Sega went out. This comes to us from Destructoid.com. Sega went out on a limb and whipped up an amusing what-if scenario. What if fans could buy a toaster that burns Sonic's face onto your piece of toast? Would they? The answer is a resounding yes. Hmm. The company wanted a 1,000 pre-orders before going through with its limited edition Sonic toaster. It just passed that threshold today, and this came out on July 9th. The toasters cost $35, and they'll ship on October 1st, 2018. So literally, it's a toaster that's got the silhouette of Sonic's face on it, and it burns Sonic's face onto a piece of toast. Hmm. Okay. So just just let me know when you want to come over for breakfast in October, and <laughs> uh, I'll whip up some to- some toast for us. Really, this is what <laughs> Sega's working on these days. Now, <clears throat> oh, now I, how the mighty hath fallen! I will say this, and I we talked about this when we first heard the story. It's dumb that Sega themselves are the ones that are doing it. If this were a novelty item on a website, I think we would all say that's probably kind of a cool thing. I don't know that you know any of us would get it, but we still think it's a cool thing. But the fact that Sega's doing it, I just don't understand it. Yeah, I mean, because if Nintendo did something like this, like a Mario toaster, it wouldn't bother me because it's sort of like... Uh, you know, Nintendo's making so much money that they're like, oh, well, let's make a Mario toaster. Like, okay, why not? Sega is a shell of their former selves in the 90s. They don't make consoles anymore. And everybody would love to have an actual, you know, Sega Genesis Mini that's uh, you know, made by Sega themselves. Or even a new Sega console. Why are they spending their time making a toaster? Like it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Like if this was something we talked about it before. If this was something I saw on ThinkGeek, I'd be like, "Oh, that's cool." But knowing that Sega is making this and not making anything else, like just bugs me. It bugs me to no end. Yeah, it's not the most logical move that I've ever seen before. But that being said, I will get it. All right. (laughs) You you eat all the Sonic toast you want. Uh, And from, let's see, what is our next news story here? Uh, Oh, yeah, there is an unreleased SNES Super FX racer that could be getting a physical rebirth. And this is on NintendoLife.com. Uh, in 1994 was the year that 3D gaming truly came of age in the console era. While both Nintendo and Sega had dabbled in the three-dimensional realm prior to this with titles such as Star Fox and Virtual Racing, 94 marked a point where real-time 3D visuals uh, were the expected norm rather than, the, uh, than a technical outlier. The ill-fated 3DO and Atari Jaguar had attempted to spearhead this graphical revolution a year earlier. But it was with the release of the Sony PlayStation and Sega Saturn, which would truly hammer home the fact that 3D was the future and the old-fashioned 16-bit consoles were on their way out. Um, Let's see, move down a little bit here. 
around this time, news broke the Elite was working on two new titles for the SNES, both of which would utilize the second generation of Nintendo's Super FX hardware. That was the chip, the Super FX chip was designed by a UK company, Argonaut, which could be inserted inside cartridges and bestow the SNES with remarkable 3D capabilities. Star Fox was the first indication of what this tiny piece of silicon was capable of. But Stunt Race effects soon followed and gave a tantalizing glimpse of how the tech could be used to create an immersive 3D racing game. Uh, let's see. I'm gonna... Hardware was instrumental in achieving Elite and Motive Time's vision for the two games. Uh, the Super FX hardware created an exciting opportunity to work in fully 3D console games in those days. But um, as far as the game goes, uh, let's see. I'm trying to find the part where it's talking about the actual game here. There's a long article. Yeah, it is. A very long article. Um uh, let's see. As for how Elite proposes to manufacture a game which uses a chip which is no longer in active production, uh, they admit that the project is still very much at the planning stage and that the potential solutions such as system-on-a-chip hardware emulation or an FPGA option will be considered at a later date. It's too, answer, too early to answer that question as producers, our job is to facilitate the process, not to decide how it's done. We'll take our development and manufacturing partners' advice on that that said, we'd be pleasantly surprised if sourcing the original Super FX chip presented itself as an option. So what do you think about them actually taking this old unreleased game and actually releasing it, you know, as a, a new and new packaging, new everything? I'll sum it up. I was at several years ago, I was fortunate enough to see a live Kevin Smith Q&A. Mm hmm. And he said two words that I think are very appropriate for this. Why not? Exactly. Yeah. Why not do it? Yeah. I mean, if, if you've got the capabilities, you know, I'd be curious in trying it out because I'm looking at the, the box right now and I remember that giant Super FX logo that yeah. was on the original Star Fox packaging. I, I would play this in a heartbeat. Here's the thing. I mean, with as sturdy as all those old consoles were, people still have Super Nintendo. People still have Nintendo 64. I mean, Nintendo 64 still sell really well in the in the you know in the retro gaming stores and stuff like that. It kind of makes me wonder: Would it be financially feasible? I mean, with the success of the Super Nintendo Mini and the Nintendo uh, uh, Mini. Would it be financially feasible? And I and like I know that there are, you know, the Retron systems and all that kind of stuff out there. But would it be financially feasible for Nintendo to actually just crank up production on these old consoles, like the Super Nintendo, Nintendo sixty four? Maybe I may do a small batch of regular old Nintendos. Maybe they still have, you know, like they could crank up production on the top loader or something like that and do like a half a million run of Super Nintendos or something like that. That way they could re-release some of this stuff like in the original boxes. And I mean, I know that they probably don't have the, you know, the production line set up to do that. But if there was a market for it, do you think it would be financially feasible for Nintendo to do something like that? And would they? Do I think it would be financially feasible? Yes. Will they do it? No. Yeah. Hmm. Because 
it would be a good thing to do, so they won't do it. I'd love to walk into like a Target and see a line of these because I, I love the packaging for the Super Nintendo games. Those yeah. black boxes with just, you know, the corner artwork that has the title and like one picture from that game. And then you've got the Super Nintendo logo down in the corner. Uh, the Super Famicom logo, like with the blue, yellow, red and green circles. I, I, I eat that stuff up. And if they were to do that. I mean, it'd be cool if they did new games for, like, for the Super Nintendo. Well, that's what I'm that, saying. That like, I for sure think they would not do. I mean, with so many new, um, you know, indie game developers that are making uh, cool games, like 16-bit era games, 8-bit era games, uh, you have... Uh, you know, Bloodstained and stuff like that coming out that are throwbacks to, to you know, the 16-bit era. They What if somehow Nintendo could make it cheaper for them to actually produce, you know, a, a Super Nintendo version of that game? If they were to crank up production, like, say, a million units of the Super Nintendo, and then, you know, maybe somehow just do a production line of the super nintendo cases uh that they could put their chips in and stuff like that like i think i don't know i I just i don't know what it would cost to do that if it would be financially feasible but i I mean with the retro game market the indie game market i think if nintendo were to work with these indie game companies to actually put out new you know super nintendo uh, games and boxes and things like that. I think there's a market for that kind of stuff. I would love it. Like, imagine it, walking I've, in a Target and you could pick up Super Mario World on the shelf again, or Super Metroid, or something like like Legend of Zelda: Link to the Past. Like, you know, a brand new, brand spanking new version of it for a new Super Nintendo. Like, that would be awesome. That would be, and then there, like you said, there are a lot of these indie games, like Bloodstained, yeah. would be perfect for the Super Nintendo. Yeah, like Steam World Dig, stuff like that. Yeah, no, I, I would, I would love it. I think that would be really, really cool. Imagine buying a Super Nintendo version of Super Meat Boy. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great. That'd be awesome. It, like, like you said, it, it would, it would provide these indie gamers, uh, you know, developers, a platform. To actually put their game on. Yeah. In a perfect I think it'd be world. In a perfect world. We can dream. But our last story comes to us from bleedingcool.com. Details slowly coming out about the new Intellivision console. I remember we talked about this yeah. a few weeks ago. If you've just been a little bit curious as to what Intellivision Entertainment has in store for the upcoming new console, details are now starting to emerge. IGN got an interview with the company's new president, Tommy Talarico. I'm sure I'm saying that wrong, but asking him what's going on with the system, and we got some interesting details. Aside from the fact that the company used Nintendo's Wii U as a starting point for the new design, they intend to do modern gaming rather than just rely on the past, but will still create games that harken back to their roots, including a new version of Shark Shark. And then there's the controller, which we have a snippet of the piece below for you to read where they're making a new setup that will take the best functions of the old controller and modernizing them for a new generation of gameplay. So the new Intellivision isn't just going to be some retro throwback with new twists. It's an entirely new system. At least that's what they're claiming for now. 
So, I, I mean, I never played the Intellivision, but what what do you think of this? I never had an Intellivision. I didn't know anyone that had one. I mean, I remember them at the time. They're very ugly. <laughs> I don't understand the actual controller for it. Like, it, even looking at this old Intellivision picture here, like, just looking at the controller itself is like, what is this thing? It's not a... Con- it looks like... A, I don't know, some sort of retro version of like a cell phone or something. I don't know. Or like it looks like a it has a dial pad on it and like this circular little I don't know what that is. It's not like a D-pad or anything like that. I have no idea what this thing is or how to even use that controller. I do remember um I've never played an Intellivision, but I do remember back in the 90s when I used to go to thrift stores a lot looking for Atari games because you could go to the thrift store back in the 90 like late 90s and you could pick up like an Atari 2600 or 5200 and a ton I'm, I remember going to the thrift store and there would literally be like these just shelves full of Atari games for like 25 cents a piece 15 cents a piece like you could go in there with 10 bucks and buy like a library of Atari games and you could find Atari consoles for like five, ten bucks. And I remember going in there and seeing Intellivisions for like two dollars and fifty cents, like an entire Intellivision system. But I never bought one because I never had one as a kid. Yeah. I mean, this will probably be something that I will skip out on just because I, I have no sentimental value attached to it. Yeah, me neither. I mean, good for them for for trying to, you know, bring it back and try something new with it. And I but like I, this look with the with the gold coloring and the wood paneling, this yeah. it looks like it was pulled out of the late 70s. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I hope this doesn't turn out to be something like the uh, the Atari VCS where like I just I smell a rat with that. You know, yeah. I, it just it stinks to high heaven. I, I really hope this isn't like that because I know that the Intel the original Intellivision company that that's not who this is. This is basically someone came with money, came in, and basically bought the Intellivision name, basically, and says, okay, well, we're going to come out with a new console. So hopefully it's somebody that actually knows what they're doing, you know, and not like the Atari VCS, which I don't think anyone knows what they're doing over there, and I don't think that's going to come out, but I don't know. We'll keep an eye on this and see, because I know there's a lot of people who love the Intellivision. Because it was actually a better system than the Atari 2600 at the time. But like I said, I didn't know anybody that had one. I never, I don't think I've ever played an Intellivision in my life. I can't say that I have either. But on that note, let's go ahead and move into, let me pull up my notes here before we go there. Let's go ahead and move into uh, this month in gaming history. And... Which one am I ringing? Oh, the purple. Uh, in July of 1987, Technos Japan Corporation releases Double Dragon Arcade Game, which is distributed internationally by the Taito Corporation, um, which is kind of weird because eventually then it was published by Trade West for the uh, Nintendo Entertainment System uh, in America. So this game had a lot of different publishers and stuff like that. So that that was a weird thing that went on back in the day. I still have yet to play any Double Dragon game. Really? 
I love that. Yeah. I still love the Nintendo version. I I know it's a bad game and it doesn't hold up very well, but man, that was one of the very first beat 'em ups I ever played for the Nintendo, and I have so much nostalgia for that game. Yeah, no, I I, I will play one at at some point though. Yeah, I do want to go back and play the original. It was released for the NES, the Master System, Atari 2600. I bet that has some great graphics right there. Uh, the Atari 7800, Atari ST, the Amiga, Armstrad CPC, Commodore 64, Game Boy, Genesis Mega Drive, and the Atari Lynx. So there was nowhere you couldn't play Double Dragon back in the day. And they even remade it for the Game Boy Advance. They did. And actually, you can get it right now. You can go buy the original NES version on the Arcade Classics line for the Nintendo Switch. Then you can get it yep. for about 7 bucks. That is true. Let's see. Oh, Lord. <laughs> July 5th, 1987. <laughs> the Leisure Suit Larry in the Land of the Lounge Lizards Adventure is released by Sierra Entertainment. Uh, thank you for putting this one on there. <laughs> I remember uh, the Leisure Suit Larry games back in the day. I never got to play them because it was a, you know, a air quote adult <laughs> title back in the day. But you go back and look at it now and it's so tame. Yeah. But it's just, it was yeah. the subject matter. I mean, it's still a little risque, but there are games that are so much worse than this now. Yeah. Yeah, I I never I, mean, I knew of the games, but obviously was I mean I didn't have a desire to play them anyway, but I was I was not allowed to to partake in the the guy named Larry wearing the leisure suit. <laughs> well, if anybody's never played any of the leisure suit Larry games, here's the plot. Larry Laffer <laughs> is a 38 year old, uh, but it, they changed him to 40 year old in the 91 remake. Loser who lives in his mother's basement and has not yet lost his virginity. Having grown weary of his lonely existence, he decides to visit the resort city of Lost Wages, a parody of Las Vegas, hoping to experience... That's a great title, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> hoping to experience what he has not lived before and to finally find the woman of his dreams. He starts off with nothing but an out-of-style 70s disco-era leisure suit and $94 in his pocket. His quest involves four possible women... Um, a nameless, seedy-looking sex worker, Fawn, a club-goer of the low moral fiber, Faith, a receptionist who is faithful to her boyfriend, and Eve, a bathing beauty, and Larry's ultimate goal. So it's basically, it's like a point-and-click adventure type of game. Uh, and I, I might actually see if this is available on Steam, because I'd love to go back and see what this game was like. Because I never, like I said, I never got to play it as a kid. It was always one of those games that, like, you, you know, you couldn't really find it in stores and stuff. You had yeah. to, like, get, you had to, like, order it, like, uh, through the mail. Yeah. There was one other thing I wanted to, let me find it real quick. I want to say there was, like, a either a sequel or a remake to this game. Oh, yeah. They've done a lot of remakes over the years for this game. Oh, okay. Because I remember seeing one, you know, back in the day, but obviously never, never played them. But uh, uh, it says here, developer Infusion Interactive and publisher Replay Games created a modern point-and-click remake of the original game with updated HD graphics, 
fully vocalized audio and various enhancements to the original, like new puzzles and new characters. The game was developed for Microsoft Windows, Mac OS X, iOS, Android, and Linux, and released on June 27, 2013. It's called Leisure Suit Larry Reloaded. Cool. Uh, I bet that's on Steam. I would be willing to bet that it is as well. I might do a re- uh, review <laughs> of it. <laughs> Uh, on July 7th of 1987, Konami releases Metal Gear for the MSX2 home computer platform in Japan and Europe, and then was released in North America in, let me look at, uh, 87, I believe, uh, for North America. Yeah, 87. And I still love the cover art to this game, even though it is a total ripoff of uh, Reese from uh, Terminator. Oh, absolutely. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. But I, uh, like I said last week, I never, I've never played a Metal Gear game, so it, I, I can't. I played the original when I was a kid, but like I said, I don't like stealth games, so I, I didn't like it at the time. And even as I got older with like the Splinter Cell games and the Assassin's Creed games, like I don't like stealth games at all. It's not my yeah. cup of tea. Yeah, I mean, there are some that I like, but I'm with you. Stealth games aren't exactly my favorite. Yeah, I don't like it. I like I like just run and gun, blow shit up type of, type of <laughs> gameplay. Let's see. July 19th, 1991. Square oh. releases... God. Final Fantasy 4 in Japan, <laughs> the first Final Fantasy game for the Super Famicom. But here's the kicker. Just just bear with me on this. It was released in November in North America as Final Fantasy 2. Oh, was it? So it's 2 here but 4 in Japan. Huh. That's weird. Right? <laughs> Moving on. Slightly <laughs> slightly confusing. Also in July, and this rounds us out for this month in video game history. I know uh, we make fun of Final Fantasy a lot, but that's just because I know it pushes people's buttons. <laughs> I really have no... I, I honestly, 100% honesty, I have like zero... Like, I don't know. Uh, uh, I have nothing for the Final Fantasy. I don't... I don't I really don't care. Like, I, I just don't, yeah. I have nothing to, to offer for it. So, um, I know people get mad when we make fun of it. That's just because people get mad and I like to push buttons. Oh so, yeah. 
It's like Michael Caine said in The Dark Knight. Some men just want to watch the world burn. Oh, yeah. Sometimes you just have to. Uh, yeah. And to round us out uh, for this month of video game history, in 1991 July, Atari updates their Lynx handheld system with a smaller form factor, better scream, and longer battery life. Didn't we talk about this last week? I think we did. Uh, we did talk about the Lynx. I don't know if we talked about the smaller version, though. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it had moderate sales. Uh, they introduced the Lynx 2 with a new marketing campaign, new packaging, slightly improved hardware, better battery life, and a new sleeker look. Uh, featured rubber hand grips and a cleaner backlit color screen with a power save option, uh, which turned off the LCD panel's backlighting. It also replaced the monaural headphone jack of the original Lynx with one wired for stereo. The new packaging made the links available without any accessories, dropping the price to $99. Although sales improved, Nintendo still dominated the handheld market. Well, of course they did. They still dominate the handheld market. They've never not dominated the handheld market. Yeah, it just goes to prove that, you know, better graphics and doesn't necessarily make for better games. Exactly. But that rounds us out for the uh, this month in video game history. Let me uh, go ahead and get this going here. Oop, wrong one. <laughs> there we go. RoboCop, here we go. Play a little RoboCop music here. So that music is for RoboCop for the NES. And I hope you like that music for RoboCop because it's pretty much the only music you're going to hear for the entire freaking game over and over and over and over and over and over. <laughs> so RoboCop is a run-and-gun, beat-em-up hybrid arcade game developed and published by Data East. In the game, a player controls RoboCop who advances through various stages that are taken from the 1987 movie. Uh, the bonus screen is a target shooting range that uses a first-person perspective, and the intermission features digitized voices from the actors. RoboCop was licensed to Data East by UK-based Ocean Software, who in turn had obtained the rights straight from Orion Pictures at the script stage. I did not know that, actually. Okay, where do I start with this game? Uh, this is actually a game that I've had since I was a kid, and... I'm a huge RoboCop fan. I love RoboCop. I, I Even though RoboCop 2, it was okay. It wasn't as good as the first game. I loved RoboCop 2. RoboCop 3 was pretty much a dumpster fire, but I still loved watching it. I'm, I'm just a fan of the 1980s, like, sci-fi movies like that. Like, you know, sort of, I guess, not necessarily low budget, but there was something about those 80s movies like that that just sort of something missing from movies like that these days like the terminator and robocop and things like that like you go back and you watch robocop and not that i didn't like the remake in 2000 what was it 15 or 16 when the remake came out i liked it but there was just something not quite the same and it, I guess that has 2014. to do with, yeah, I guess that has to do with Paul Verhoeven, the director. And you, I know you've 
heard of Paul Verhoeven. He did um, The Fifth Element and um, uh, Starship Troopers. And there's sort of a... He has a running thing through his his movies with um, sort of intercutting, like, almost like commercials and stuff into his movies. And it's, it's kind of really hard to explain, but it, it really kind of sets the tone. Like there's something, his movies have a tone about them. Like they may not be the best movies ever, but there's like a really good tone and really good sort of messages to his movies. And that's one thing I loved about RoboCop. And I don't care who you are that the scene of, uh, Murphy getting killed at the beginning of the movie is still one of the most visceral scenes ever shown in a movie. Like it traumatized me as a kid, that scene in that movie when he gets his hand blown off. Mm -hmm. Oh, just a look on his face, man. Just like, and the effects are like all practical effects and it's crazy. I, I don't know how many times you've seen RoboCop, Derek, but man, I've seen that movie at least I'd say 50 to 75 times over the course of my life. Funny story. I actually didn't see RoboCop until I was in college. Really? Yeah. I didn't grow up with RoboCop. It was just one that I never watched, but I I was like you that, that scene, I was just like, Holy shit. They actually, (laughs) that was way more, (laughs) way more violent than I thought it would be. Um, I don't know how they got away with that much violence, like back in the eighties. Like it is, oh, you just see his hand explode and then like, they just blow his arm off and he's just like screaming and oh, it's like to this day, it just, ugh, it just gets me every there, time. There's just something about those eighties movies, like your RoboCops, your Terminator, your Predator. Mm-hmm. They just have that certain like it factor to it. I, yeah. I don't know how to describe it. It's like, I guess that type of entertainment value, I guess. Yeah. It just has that special little spark that to me, like no other movies from any decade have. Yeah. And that kind of brings me to my point. Like games like this, like back in the eighties, they would try to take these R rated movies like, you know, Predator and Terminator and Robocop and try to make games out of them. And I've never played the actual arcade version of RoboCop, and I know that the NES version is a straight port of the arcade version, so I don't know how good the actual arcade version is. I really didn't look it up on YouTube to see if there was any gameplay or anything. I've just been playing the actual NES game the last couple of weeks, and it's just so mediocre. Like it's a lot better than some of the other licensed games, like especially games like Back to the Future, and a lot of the stuff that LJN produced um, uh, in the '80s. And um, like the the Terminator game wasn't very good, but this one, it's serviceable, I guess you'd say. Like, it, but there's just nothing special about it. It's it tries to take like a, a side-scrolling beat 'em up and mash it with uh, a shooter, a side-scrolling shooter, but it doesn't really do either one very well. Like you start off the game and you're just there's it, it kind of follows the movie a little bit, like you're after Clarence Boddicker, um, and you go through the the first level is like going through the streets of Detroit and you're just fighting dogs and random dudes in the street. And you're, you're 
you know how when you play some games that there's sort of even though you know there's no such thing as dual shock back in the day it was just you know you had to rely on the game for like solid hit detection to make you feel like you're actually hitting something there's, right. It doesn't really have that in this game. Like when you hit something, you don't really get any kind of like um, good sound design or anything. Like there's no solid like hit when you hit something. So like you hit a character and you can't really tell you hit them unless they kind of fly off the screen, you know, and it's weird. And then all of a sudden you'll be walking and then just out of nowhere, RoboCop will decide to pull his gun out and start shooting people. There's no kind of rhyme or reason for it. It's like there's no button you can push where you can like pull out your gun or anything like that. You'll just be walking and all of a sudden he'll just pull the gun out and then it becomes a shooter. I'm like, okay. And you can't jump and you can't jump or anything. And Robocop moves so slow <laughs> in this game. It's like it's he's like a just a walking tank. Like walks so slow through these levels. Like you walk through the first level, you know you're out in the streets of uh, of Detroit, and then you get to the end of the level and you fight kind of like this weird uh, character. I don't uh, I don't really know who it is, but the further you get into the game, you actually first time uh, the next level you go to um, you go to City Hall, and then if you know where you're going, you can actually get through the second level really quickly. Um, cause there's some places you can bust through the wall, which, uh, um, took me a long time to figure that part out. So you can get through the second level pretty quick. And then you, uh, it's not Clarence Boddicker. You have to fight then it's one of his other henchmen. Uh, and you have to save the mayor. Then you go to the third level, which is like a warehouse where, uh, Clarence Boddicker is producing all the drugs and you kill everybody in the warehouse. And then you Clarence Boddicker, you have to, uh, fight him but then he runs off and then the next level you fight the the big boss is ed 209 then the one of the final levels you go and you actually fight clarence boddicker again then you have to go and fight ed 209 again at the very end of the game so it's just sort of you just kind of go through these levels and there's nothing really exciting or different about it it just feels very mediocre and there's nothing about it that makes me want to keep playing it over and over again. It's just, once you play through it once, you're just kind of like, eh, okay, I'll never play that again. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading a little bit about the about the game itself. I mean, it's it's got decent reviews, but from what I've watched of it, it, it doesn't really look like a game that would keep my interest. Yeah, and I, I don't know. There's just something about it. Like, I don't know if it's like the graphics are okay. And like I said, and I guess it, I could have done with a better music soundtrack. Like, I think if this game was done by Konami and had like a much better soundtrack to it. And, and the part where they're talking about where there's an actual bonus stage where you go to a shooting range, which is between, I think, the second and third level. That would have been more fun if they would have somehow switched it and tried to do what um, Bayou Billy tried to do, where you would go, it tried to mash genres of where some levels you use, you know, your controller and some you can use the controller and the light gun. Like that mm -hmm. would have been cool if you could actually use the, the light gun for the actual shooting gallery stage, but you just use the controller and the D pad and it's so slow and wonky. It like, like this is kind of stupid. Why is this in here? 
It would have that that would have actually been really cool to be able to use the gun. Yeah, and I, I think this game would have been a lot better if they would have had some side-scrolling beat-em-up parts, but then you go to like another level, like it, where you go into the actual warehouse where Clarence Boddicker is, and it turns into like a on-rail shooter or something like that. Yeah. Like if they would have mashed up the styles that way, I think it would have been a lot more fun. I agree. But I mean, like I said, it's it's not a bad game. It's not broken or anything like that. It's just it's not a good game either. It's just very mediocre. And um I remember I got this game uh when I was a kid, I I remember going to Kmart with my mom one time. And um, when I was, a, I remember when I was a kid, you were able to go to a store and tell your mom, like, I'm going to go hang out in the toy section or for a while or something. And your mom would let you just go hang out in the toy section while she shopped. And then she'd come pick you up on the way out of the store. Um, but I remember when I was a kid, you know, the, the older I got, you know, around eight, nine, ten years old, I would just kind of swing by the uh the toy section and look a little bit and then i would make my way back to the um the electronic section of, of the kmart there and spend my time playing you know the nintendo or the uh you know the sega master systems that they would have demos set up that you could play and i remember they had uh one weekend this must have been like right after i had a birthday or something like that because i had a, a like a, a couple of dollars burning a hole in my pocket and they had like a little bin of Nintendo games. And I remember I picked up um, Project Renegade, which is a very awful, crappy side-scroller. Uh, and I also got Crystalis at the same time because the games were like 10 bucks um, on clearance or whatever. And they had this big bin of clearance games. And I remember I had a 20 on me. I was like, oh, I can get two games. This is awesome. It's like I'm rich. So I got Project Renegade and I got Crystalis. Got home. Crystalis was completely worth the money. It's a game I still play to this day. Like the soundtrack's great, gameplay is great. It's kind of an action RPG. Actually, I did a review of it right here on the on the show. You can go back and listen to that. But Project Renegade was not worth the money, and it was an awful game. And I remember I had this friend when I was in elementary school used to come over, and we would uh, have sleepovers all the time. He had a Nintendo, and I had a Nintendo, so we used to trade games a lot. And we both had games that we didn't like very much. Like, he had RoboCop, and I had Project Renegade. And we both knew that if we traded that those games with one another, it would be an absolute equal trade. <laughs> because we both <laughs> hated those games, but I was actually a RoboCop fan. You know, and I wanted that game just because it was RoboCop. So we did a trade. And, you know, I kind of feel like I came out a little better on that deal because it is RoboCop and it looks cool. Like the game packaging is really cool. It's the movie poster, which I think is still one of the coolest movie posters of all time was RoboCop. You know, him yeah. stepping out of the car and it's just like he looks so freaking badass. And you're like, that's awesome. So I feel like I came out a little bit better on that deal, but at the same time, I never played the game. Like I must have played it a couple of times as a kid, but it was so boring. I just never played it. It just looks good on the shelf. And um, you know, even to this day, I, I remember playing this a, a while back when I first started setting all of my uh, you know retro game stuff back up in my office, playing it a little bit and being like, yeah, this is awful. 
So I've been kind of putting it off for however long we've been doing this show because RoboCop was one of the first games I was going to review for this show and um, just kept putting it off and putting it off. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it and get it out of the way. Sometimes you just have to bite the bullet. Yeah, and I'm glad I did because I did play through this game and it's not a hard game. It's not very long either. Uh, you can get a walkthrough that you can go through the game relatively quickly. And the bosses aren't very hard. They're just kind of more memorization and um, quick reflex type stuff. But other than that, it's really not that difficult of a game. You can play through it pretty quick, but it is very mediocre. And on a scale of 1 to 10, I would give this a 6. Like, it's not bad. It's not good. It's just there. Is it the Sonic the Hedgehog toast of the yeah. NES? It's it's the Nickelback of Nintendo games. Oh wow, <laughs> harsh. <laughs> but like you know, because I really wanted to come on the show. Like when I started playing this game last week, and I really wanted to ha- to like hammer on it, like I did with uh, Fester's Quest. I'm like, oh, this is gonna be a good episode where I can just play this stupid game and just like rail on it for 30 minutes. I'm like, and then I started playing it and I'm like, it doesn't really deserve it because it's just kind of, it's so white bread, (laughs) you know, like there's nothing special about the game whatsoever. I still remember that Fester's quest episode. I think that's probably top three hardest I've ever laughed during a podcast. <laughs> and I was actually, I remember that recording that episode because then what, like two hours later I ended up like getting horribly sick. And that's why I was so harsh on it because I was like starting to run a fever and I was just like, I hate everything. <laughs> uh, fever rant. Uh, and I was reading on here too. I actually wanted to mention this. I, I was wondering why they never put out a RoboCop versus Terminator video game because they did do a um a dark horse comic series back in the 90s which I actually have still because I love this series so much it was RoboCop versus the Terminator um let's see uh, it says um in the future I oh it was RoboCop versus the Terminator was released on a number of platforms uh and based on RoboCop and Terminator of course in the game, the player controls RoboCop, who may move across the screen, jump, fire, and exchange weapons. He starts with the Auto 9, which has unlimited ammunition. Other weapons may be more powerful and carry unlimited ammunition as well. Beginning the game on a mission of law enforcement, RoboCop soon meets up with Flo and must engage in battle against the Terminators, the forces of OCP, and several obstacles. Uh, Upon discovering one of the Terminators has infiltrated the OCP building, RoboCop plugs himself into a console to reprogram the security only to fall into a trap and be digitized. After his body is disassembled and used for building Skynet, RoboCop watches Skynet come to power before using his digitized mind to seize control of an abandoned robotics factory, rebuild himself, and begin to to destroy Skynet in the future. This sounds awesome. Awesome. This is the game Doesn't I want to play. That wow. Sounds amazing. But it doesn't say what console it came out for. Uh Mega Drive Genesis. This was a Genesis game? Yeah, uh the Genesis, Sega Game Gear, Sega Master System. 
SNES. Oh, hmm. I have to find this. Let's see. Let me do a let me do a quick Google search. Oh, uh, sorry, I haven't been watching the chat. We have Chainsaw Squirrel uh, in the chat room. It's an awesome name. Yeah, that's an awesome name. Oh, the poster's cool, too. It's literally got... It looks like the two posters from RoboCop and Terminator combined together. Yeah. It's literally what it is. That Just that story intrigues me. I know. I, well, let me look up on eBay to see if they, if you can actually get a Super Nintendo version of it. Let's see. Uh, the RoboCop versus Terminator SNES. Here we go. Here we go. Ooh, 1999 for the Sega Genesis. Uh, do not see one for the Super Nintendo. No, let's see. SNES. Let's try that. Uh, $32. Dude, look at this packaging. Right? That's awesome. Uh, dude, it's pretty cheap. You can get an, uh, an inbox, a uh, boxed version of it for 45 bucks. Um, just a regular, uh, cart of it is 1097. Buy it That's now. That's not bad at all. 1588. Not bad. So roughly about fifteen bucks, you can pick up a copy of it. I got to play this. I have to. Now that movie needs to happen. No. Oh, and Chainsaw Squirrel is talking about my gray beard. I must be younger than I look. <laughs> 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 yeah, I'm. I'm. I just turned forty-one not too long ago. So. Imagine one of these days I'm just going to hit like a wall because I always, everybody tells me I don't look my age and I figure one day I'm going to hit like 50 and then I'm just going to like melt like uh, the guy at the end of uh, <laughs> Last Crusade when he drinks from the wrong chalice. <laughs> he just turns into a skeleton. That's, that's going to be me on my 50th birthday. <laughs> well, hopefully not. Uh, but yeah, I'm actually really interested in playing that uh, RoboCop versus Terminator. I didn't even know that was a game. How did I miss that? I didn't. I r vaguely remember the comic series, but I, mean, I had I, no idea it was a game. I had the comic series, but I didn't even know there was a game. I mean, the, <clears throat> maybe I did hear about it and just kind of blew it off, but I don't know. Like, I would have been totally all over this at the time. I'm going to get a copy of that. I'm going to go to, uh, if I can't get it at um, Play and Talk, I might get a copy of it on eBay. You should. Hmm. It looks good to me. But um, that's going to bring us to the end, unless you got anything to, to ask about RoboCop for the NES, which is just meh. <laughs> no, I, I think you pretty much covered everything. Awesome. So, um, do you know what your next review is going to be when we come back next week? Um, let me actually look at our list real quick. I was actually thinking about that. Oh, and I did want to tell everybody that um, when you're listening to this episode, our Patreon is live. So it it'll is. Be, um, what, what's the address, official address for it, Derek? 
Patreon.com slash NerdCaveRetro. So there you go. You want to uh, support the show? Go over there. Throw us a couple of dollars a month. Uh, the $1 level helps us keep the lights on. Uh, the 3 5 and I then they're a $10 level or just a 3 and 5 just 3 and 5 yeah at the 3 and 5 dollar level you get to participate in the polls that we're going to do on Patreon for, as far as um, asking what you want us to uh, to review and then once we hit $50 our stretch goal of $50 a month we're going to do an extra episode where you get to decide at the $5 level what we're going to be reviewing as far as a sci-fi or horror or gaming related movie uh, retro movie from the 80s, 90s, and even before that, uh, TV shows or whatever you want us to talk about, we'll talk about. I think I know what I'm going to pick. This one might surprise you. This is a game that I don't know if it had good reviews or not because I just happened to randomly find it as a kid one day. Okay. And I was and I was going through a pretty big Simpsons phase. <laughs> So I will review Krusty's Super Fun House for the Super Nintendo. Really? This game I actually enjoyed as a kid. I don't remember playing that one, but I did play all the NES game, Simpsons games. The Bart vs. the World, and um, what was the other one? The Simpsons arcade game is one of my favorite like party games of all time. But that game never came out on any console though. It was never, no, there was never a port of it on any of the consoles, which baffled me at the time. Cause it was so good. Yeah. I loved playing that game and it was available in pretty much any arcade in the area. I dropped and I would just so flip many, between that and Ninja Turtles. I dropped so many quarters into that game. You, it, you have no idea. It was such a good game. That and that and Ninja Turtles. That was, well, I'll I'll throw Skee Ball in there too. But yeah. <laughs> those three were my were my arcade uh, my arcade regulars. Speaking of Skee Ball, uh, me and Tina went to the uh, the arcade uh, a couple weeks ago or a week ago for her birthday. Man, I played some Skee Ball. I love Skee Ball. And I had one really good game where uh, I could go up and and I found the perfect angle. For the ball to go up and hit the ten thousand uh, mm-hmm. um, holes up in the corner, man, I hit like four ten thousand ones in a row. I was like, "This is awesome!" <laughs> I got like so many uh, points put on my card. So, I, and now I can probably go get like a pencil eraser or something at the uh, <laughs> at the at the little store there. Maybe a piece of double bubble. Yeah, some bu- uh, some double bubble. And a uh, uh, pencil eraser or a pencil or um, what else do they have? Those little frogs, little um, plastic frogs. Oh, God, you, I remember You those hit their things. butt and they go flying. <laughs> <laughs> those were awesome. Uh, those I love things, those. Those things entertained me way too much as a kid. Oh, and the little finger monsters, too, Yeah, with the little arms and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, those are great. I love now, those if things. You, if you did really well, you got the Chinese finger trap. Yeah, which lasted about a day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. You didn't um, really get your value out of that. So is there anything you want to talk about before we go, Mr. Derek Diamond? No, just uh, as always, check out the Derek Diamond experience. Uh, new episodes come out every Thursday on iTunes, Spotify, and all podcasting platforms. Uh, if you're listening to this uh, the day it comes out, I'll actually be in Philadelphia for Podcast Movement, which mm-hmm. is a pretty big podcasting convention that's 
held here in these United States. Uh, we're actually going to be doing, uh, we don't know the day yet, but we're actually going to be doing two episodes next week. So I'll be in Philly for both of those. So I, I think doing it on location is going to be kind of cool. It's going to be so fun. I wish I could go with you. Damn it. I want to go. We'll make it a point for next year. Both yes. of us have got to go. Next year we have to go. Yeah. We have to. Um, the, go check out the Pop Culture Palette over at PCP Show and, and PCPRadio.com. Got some really good episodes coming up uh, very soon. Uh, the 1st of August, we have um, scheduled... Uh, if you've ever heard of a, a podcast called The Grumpy Cast with Mr. Joey Image, who has been a guest on this show before, that was one of his older podcasts with uh, Daryl the Trek Nerd and Hammond Chamberlain from uh, podcast Beyond the Playlist. So if you've ever heard those podcasts, um, they're very good, and they used to do a show called Grumpy Cast. Well, I'm getting them back together for a special pop culture palette grumpy cast episode which is going to be so fun i can't wait for it and uh, that's really so cool go follow us over at pcp show on twitter and uh go take a listen if you've never listened to pop culture palette and um so yeah that's all i got to say about that oh real quick uh if you want to follow the Derek diamond experience on social media facebook twitter and instagram at d diamond podcast and as far as this show goes don't forget to leave us a review Wherever you listen to the show at, whether it's iTunes or Stitcher or um, Overcast or wherever you listen to it, uh, iHeartRadio, we're on all those places, uh, Google Play, wherever you're listening to us from, please go leave us a review. That gets us in front of more ears, and I want more ears listening to this show. We got some good numbers last few months, and I'm ready to get more. I want more more i say so go leave us a review that's the and if you can't contribute to the patreon that's fine you know i understand sometimes you just ain't got the money but if you want to support the show go leave us a review that's the simplest and best thing you can do for us is to go leave a review so thank you guys for doing that and uh, let's go ahead and get out of here Derek. what do you say Let's do it. If you would like to email us, we're at nerdcaveretro at gmail.com. We are at nerdcaveretro.com. We're on Instagram and Twitter at nerdcaveretro, at jfunktastic, and at Derek underscore diamond. And we're on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdcaveretro. So Derek, please tell them what it's all about. Wow. Wow. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.